Hey everybody, welcome back to an all new episode of the Totally Radical Cartoon Podcast. This is a show that takes a deep dive into the world of 80s cartoons and all of the glorious insanity therein. My name is Randy, and I am your host on this journey, and we're back for part two of our look at the G.I. Joe miniseries Arise, Serpentor Arise. But of course, before we get into that, gotta let you know that Totally Radical Cartoon Podcast is a production of Geek World Order. Go to geekworldorder.com for all the latest and greatest geeky content and media. Check us out on social media, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Geek World Order. And of course, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, leave a comment, leave a heart react, a five-star review, uh, whatever your podcast provider of choice does to let you rate and review a podcast, do that. Help the show grow and spread the love. So, we start out our episode with a recap of part one. And a little bit of an interesting note here. We seem to have a bit of an animation issue with the recap here. So, when they're recapping the part where Sergeant Slaughter um, volunteers himself, Lowlight, and Beachhead for the mission to infiltrate the Dreadnought camp... Beachhead is animated differently. So in part one of the episode, in the part one, uh, Beachhead is shown in that scene with his balaclava down, how we normally see Beachhead. But in this case, we see in this recap that his balaclava is rolled up into a, like a skull cap. So we actually see Beachhead's face which we seem to do a couple of times throughout the series, but it always seems like it's an, an animation error. So maybe they animated this sequence twice and they just decided to, to change it. But apparently the recap still has maybe the original animation. So we recap. Our heroes are being uh, chased down by Thrasher and the Thunder Machine. And this is where we open. Thrasher's about to make the killing shot. He's about to run over the Joes in the Thunder Machine. But he wants something from Zartan. He wants an affirmation that he is officially a member of the Dreadnoughts. So, Zart, so he gets that. He gets his affirmation. But in this uh, little bit of a distraction moment here, Sergeant Slaughter pulls out a gas grenade and chucks it at the Dreadnoughts. It creates enough smoke in the tears, and it gives the opportunity for the Joes to run into the cabin behind them. And Slaughter goes, Out the back door! Beachhead's like, What back door? And our good old Sarge just goes, Oh, this back door. Punches a hole in the wall. And our heroes escape through it. But Sergeant Slaughter's hat gets knocked out as he jumps through the hole in the wall. So Thrasher runs down the cabin. He destroys it. And, well, the Dreadnoughts think they've uh, killed Slaughter and his team here. Because you know, they found the Sarge's hat. And Zoran's like, well, they ain't gonna, they ain't gonna be telling their grandkids about this one. So Zartan welcomes Thrasher into the Dreadnoughts. 
And the other treadmill is like, oh, no, no. Uh, I don't want to work with him. So we cut back to G.I. Joe headquarters, where, where our team has brought back the scrolls. Beachhead is going over the details of it. So now G.I. Joe knows that Cobra is planning to target the tombs of a number of histories. Just very much very bad people, despots, rulers. We've got a list of names including Napoleon, General Amon Toth, Vlad Tipes, Sun Tzu, Genghis Khan, Montezuma, Alexander the Great, Ivan the Terrible. But unfortunately the list is incomplete. And we don't know what they're looking for. That information, fortunately, got partially... That part of the scroll got burnt up in the last episode. So we don't know what they're doing. And, of course, they're kind of wondering what Cobra could be after. Because, I mean, many of these generals and leaders have been dead for centuries. And really, anything valuable left in the tombs more or less would have been ransacked well, well before now. But they definitely got to do something. So General Hawk orders small strike teams to head out to these locations. And well, we got to find some answers. So we cut to Paris, France. General Hawk is leading a team of Mauler tanks through the city of Paris. And a limousine pulls up. And it's the mayor of Paris. And he is not very happy about the G.I. Joe team being in his city. In his just horrible, horrible stereotypical French accent. Like, this accent is so bad. And, you know, Hawk's given him the explanations. Like, you know, we need this firepower. Cobra is coming after the tomb of Napoleon. But the mayor of Paris does not care. He's like, no, no, teams, no, no, your tanks cannot be here. So Hawk's like, all right, guys. All right, Joes. We're just going to have to go on with the all-strikers and the recon sleds. And he assigns Sci-Fi to take up an observation post and keep an eye out for Cobra. So, Hawk's not having a good time. So, Duke radios in, and we learn that Duke has led a team up. They're in the hills of Russia. They're aboard Snowcats. And they're on their way to the tomb of Ivan the Terrible. And... Besides that, they've got some backup in the form of the October Guard. We also get in check-in with Flint. And he's his team is cutting through the world's meanest salad, the Yucatan. And they're still about an hour away from, uh, Mont- from the tomb of Montezuma. We, we radio out to the desert where Dusty is leading a small team. In they are at the burial site of General Amon Toth in Egypt, and so far everything seems to be going well. But is it? Well, no, it's not because 
as Dusty is giving this, you know, his update, his mission update, and everything's going great, a truck just starts barreling towards the Joes. The truck stops, and the driver falls out. It's a woman. And she comes up to Dusty and lets her and lets him know that her village is being attacked by Cobra. So, Dusty, being the Joe that he is, he's like, Ah, don't worry, ma'am. We'll take care of that. So he drives off with the Joes. All of them. The entire strike team that he has. All of them. He doesn't even leave any green shirts to guard the tomb. Nothing. So, as the Joes drive off into the distance, well, this this poor innocent woman, she grabs her hair and rips it off to reveal. And she calls them sentimental fools. And we learn that it's Zorana who has taken up her brother Zartan's uh, habit of disguising herself. She enters the tomb and she's listening to an audio tape prepared by our wonderful Cobra interrogator and chief scientist, Dr. Mindbender, who's giving her information and data about the tomb. Maybe she should have listened to this tape before going into the tomb. Because as she's going through the tomb, she sets off a trap. And she has to dodge some arrows that are shooting right by her head. And these arrows fire right before Mindbender's voice on the tape goes, Don't forget to watch out for booby traps. It's like, Oh, now you tell me. Hey, yeah. So, the Joes don't find the village. And they're looking to drive her. And, well, they pretty much realize they've been had. So, back to the tomb they go. But, Zorana continues her mission. She's able to get to the tomb of General Amontoth. And she places a device on the general's body. She activates it. And a green energy field goes off. And so so this is it. The DNA extractor has worked. General Amontal's DNA has been acquired by Cobra. But as she opens the tomb, a spike ceiling slowly begins to descend. And her foot is caught in a booby trap. So yeah, so our, we cut back to the Joes. They're heading back because they've clearly been had on that. But luckily for Zorana, she's able to get her boot. She slips out of her boot. She jumps and she makes it to safety with the DNA extractor. She's like, all right, we're done. Right as the Joes arrive. But, you know, Zorana's d- isn't quite alone. She jumps into the back of the truck that she drove in on, and it opens up, revealing Thrasher and the Thunder Machine. So, she bids a farewell to the Joes, 
calls them morons, and the Joes chase after her. And they chase into a valley. And in this valley, there's a dam set up. And of course, so Thrasher shoots the guns on the Thunder Machine, destroying the dam. They're able to escape right as the oncoming water rushes over our G.I. Joe strike team. But whatever will happen to these G.I. Joes? Are they safe? Are they alive? Well, if you know anything about our uh, tropes and all these lovely things that have to happen on our 80s cartoons, you know we're not going to find that answer out immediately here, folks. So we're going to take just a brief commercial break and we'll be right back. You're watching MTV, music television, with sneak preview videos every hour on the hour. And another one coming up in just 30 minutes. Hundreds of thousands will see it. You're gonna work it. Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band are out on the road on their sold-out 1984 Tour of America. They're looking for a roadie. They're looking for you. Even if we're just dancing have you always wanted to lift heavy amps, carry dozens of guitar cases through giant airports, lay cables for hours, night after night? You have, and Bruce has a job for you. Hit the road for seven days and seven nights with total access, sound checks, hotel rooms, tour buses, eat and run and stay up all night. You're in the crew and you've got to pass for a week of concerts that money can't buy. And you can bring a friend, do your job right, and you'll also head home with a Fender guitar, autographed by Bruce. But you gotta earn MTV picks up the traveling tab, including hotels, spending money, stretch limousines. And it's not over yet. Ten first prize winners and a friend will be flown to a concert in the city of their choice to see Bruce and the band from the front row. 500 runners-up get a cassette of Born in the USA. Send in a postcard today. MTV on the road with Bruce. P.O. Box 1280, Radio City Station, New York, New York, 10101. MTV puts you on the road with Bruce. Take this job and love it. Sure, it's a lot of bouncing around, but it did put two great kids through college. This isn't just a job. This is a chance to make a difference. Course to you. You burned it and this day too. You burned it. Rocky Mountain gold and silver. Labor Day 1984. And to the working people of America from the working people at Coors and Coors Light. Nice work. The best of the country is you. All right, and we are back. So we're, we come back to our Joes being buried under the water. Hawk is radioing, looking for an update from the team. And we get a report from Slipstream, who so far from his view of it, from his conquest yet, has not seen any signs of survivors yet. But Hawk doesn't have time to worry about that because we cut back to Paris a Cobra submarine emerges from a river. But from his perch up top, Sci-Fi sees it and declares it's Cobra time. Out from the sub burst a squadron of Cobra stuns led by the Crimson Guard commanders, Zamot and Tomax. But they're also, they've got their own secrets to help make their mission a success. They call in a an air raid from a Cobra Night Raven. 
So, of course, since the Joes don't have a lot of firepower, basically they've got the guns that are on top of the Awestrikers. Yeah, that's not really doing much for them. Tomax and Zaymod are able to slip, slip through. They chuck some dynamite under the limo of the mayor of Paris, who is just sitting there barking orders. And Tomax and Zaymod are definitely not listening to this guy at all. Nope. They just ignore him. And on their way into the tomb, they just completely knock out Ripcord and Airtight who, after this five-parter, I'm not sure we see either of them again in the series. Like, I don't think either of them has speaking lines after this episode. So we're just getting rid of characters right now that their, their toys aren't being sold anymore. Who cares at this point? So the twins get into the tomb with an un, deux, trois. They lift the lid off of Napoleon's tomb and put the DNA extractor on top of him. Noting that this won't take long, as Napoleon has always been a bit short. So we get the the show, the lighting effects, the green, the green lights, and they're done. Cobra has once has a con has made another conquest here. They've acquired the DNA of Napoleon. They exit the tomb, leaping right over Gung-Ho and Roadblock, and they drive away in one of the Awestrikers. So we cut back to our Joes in Egypt. We have Lift Ticket and Lifeline. They're in the uh, Joe Tomahawk, and we find Footloose, Wild Bill, Dusty, and Cross Country just clinging to the last havoc. So they lower a basket and get them and complete their rescue mission. We get communication between Lift Ticket and Slipstream trying to find out where Zorana is, but well, they got nothing. It's like, well, maybe they drowned. But of course, unbeknownst to the Joes, they slipped into a cave right under where the rushing water is. And Cobra has definitely won the day here. So we cut back to Paris. General Hawk is not happy. He puts Sci-Fi in charge of the Joes in Paris. And he's got some just... He's got rocket thrusters on his belt. He goes up, climbs into a plane to join with Roadblock and a team of Joes. Okay, question. Wasn't Ro Literally, Roadblock was literally just with the ground troops. He had dialogue. We clearly saw him trying to attack the twins in the Awestriker. But now he's up in the jet leading, you know, Covergirl, Stalker, some older Joes. Yeah. Good old in good old animation inconsistency here, folks. Like that like this is bad. Like this is an oh. Like the inconsistency you see here is so bad. That's like awful. But anyway, Roadblock kind of gives him the lay down there. Hawk radios out to Duke. And so far, 
the Joes have reached the the tomb of Ivan the Terrible with the October Guard. Even mentioning how Colonel Brekov and Dinah send their warmest regards. You know, e- e- you know, even horror show sends his regards with a Yo Ivan. So, not much going on there at this point. So, we cut back to the tomb of Montezuma. And we learn that Flint is Flint and his men are there. The tomb is dead ahead. And Dialtone, good old Dialtone, is like, yeah, and we're dead tired. So, Flint will radio back in once the Joes are in position. And then we cut to Transylvania, where Beachhead is just a him and mainframe. They're about two hours from the clip, uh, from the crypt of Vlad Tepes. So they go here, and mainframe. He's trying to he's trying to lighten the mood. He's like, oh, this is weird. It reminds me of when I used to take my kids trick or treating. All right. So we cut back to our Joes in the lovely, lovely tomb of Montezuma. Flint, Ricondo, Dialtone, Lowlight are our team here. And Flint remarks that, yeah, this would make a great place for a singles weekend. It's like, and Ricondo even suggests that, yeah, we could even take a swim in the old Aztec pool of death. So they take their positions. And once again, Ricondo, man, there's another Joe I don't think has speaking lines after this episode. Like, they cut a lot of the, I mean, you know, the standard 80s cartoon practice of, you know, if the longer a show goes on, the more we have to get rid of older characters, especially in shows like G.I. Joe and Transformers that had really large casts. Some of the characters tended to be used less and less on screen. G.I. Joe just kind of phased them out and would just use them as background characters. You know, just animated in the background, nothing going on. Then you had Transformers, the movie that just killed 90% of like the season one cast. Just, you know, straight up murder. But hey, it is what it is. But our G.I. Joe team here, they take their positions. But Flint, he's he's got a, an itchy feeling. He's just like, no, Cobra's here. I can feel them. And we cut over to Zartan and his dreadnoughts. And he's just like, G.I. Joe is here. I can feel them. So yeah, Flint and Zartan got a little, um, they're getting a little feely with each other. There's some weird psychological bonding, getting feely is weird. So, of course, our lovely Dreadnoughts and their collective IQ of seven. So Ripper's like, well, if we know they're here, why don't we just go in? Smash the Joes, swipe Montezuma's CIA, and leave. 
That's DNA, you moron. But of course, they've got to be sus- they've got to be cool about it. They got to be smooth here. So Xandar takes his turn. He leaves. He goes into position. He's got a small pen camera with him. Some high-tech 80 spy gadgets here, folks. I don't know how they got that with the Dreadnought budget. But anyway, they've got reconnaissance. They know where the dro- where the Joes are. So, at this point, Lowlight t- or Xandar takes out Lowlight and the attack begins. Flint and Dial Toner running for cover from Dread as they're being fired on by the Dreadnoughts. Rakondo somehow managed to see Zartan behind him and gets him knocked down before, you know, Zartan can blast him in the head. They pretty much run. It's a firefight. Lowlight managed to get a few punches in on Xandar and then ducks for cover. Because Monkey Ranch tosses a bomb their, their way. So, they get fired on by Torch and his flamethrowers. So they have to jump right into the Aztec Pool of Death. Ah, just a, just a nice little swim, right? And then we just hear uh, this random one-liner from Zarana. Who, like, isn't even animated in this scene. Do we just get a random voiceover? So that's another weird uh, animation thing. Maybe she was originally supposed to be in this scene, but it's like, well, she was like halfway around the world leading her mission in Egypt. So may- maybe somebody pointed that out, but it was like, whatever, we've already got the line recorded. We're just going to leave it in there. Because, you know, lazy 80s cartoon editing but anyway Zartan orders his dreadnoughts to shoot their lasers into the water he's like and he says the water is much too chilly let's heat it up for them to the boiling point and just uh, Zartan just begins a nice evil maniacal laughter Our heroes are in danger? Well, of course they are. Because, you know, it's time for a good old 80s cartoon commercial break. This is exactly what we're going to do here. So we'll be back in just a moment, folks. by Jordash. Now what do they want? Well, the razors are great thirst in the land. Oh, come now. There is plenty to drink. Perhaps they would like some scrumptious swine soup, eh? Let them drink a cola! Peasant can be such 
your panties in that I guess you didn't hear about the taste test, huh? No. Well, you know, the one between Sprite and 7-Up, where more people chose the taste of Sprite. I always thought they were the same. Ah, now Sprite's the only caffeine-free soft drink with lime in Lime And people just love that great lime and taste. Only Sprite, huh? Yep. Only Sprite. Well, enjoy. It's only Sprite for you. two hours earlier to do what's best for your body. Give your body the best. You work up a big sweat doing it. Give your body the best. You need the best deodorant soap you can buy. Give your body the best with Safeguard. It's better than all the rest. It's Safeguard. Only fresh-smelling Safeguard has an unbeatable combination of rich, thick lather and deodorant protection. That makes it the best deodorant soap you can buy. Give your body the best. Give it Safeguard. All right, and we are back. So as we come back, of course, Zartan is once again instructing his dreadnoughts to shoot into the la in their lasers into the water to boil it up. As they're doing that, Zartan takes Monkey Wrench and runs into the tomb of Montezuma. But our Joes have found a way out. At the bottom of the pool, there just happens to be some kind of vent port and it's just big enough for them to swim through. So our Joes make it to safety. Zartan and Monkey Wrench are getting down towards the, the tomb and the actual burial site of Montezuma. They pull back a large door. And spiders pour out of the room. And we learn that Monkey Wrench has arachnophobia. So that's just his random 80s bad guy weakness. He is not a fan of big old hairy spiders. Sartan is not happy with this. He grabs him by the scruff, calls him a wimp, and he says, one more outburst like that, and I will bury you with Montezuma. So our Joes swim up, and they hear Zartan and Monkey Wrench's conversation. So, Flint's happy about that. They get back into the... They get into the tomb. Monkey Wrench asks Zartan if he has a bug bomb. Zartan just completely no-sells that one. And places the DNA device on top of Montezuma. And we get our machine going off here. So, this is right when our heroes decide to show up. And Flint... Well, he has no idea what he just saw, but, you know, Zartan will have enough time to explain what's going on behind bars, so they try to do that, but in just one of the most insane, accidental bad guy escapes, 
Monkey Wrench gets knocked into a giant spider web. He spins around. He's yelling about big old hairy spiders flailing around. And somehow he just manages to knock the Joes down while he's doing this. So he runs out. Zartan follows him. And Flint orders his team to pursue. And as they pursue, they have a weird animation error here. Because for some reason, as they're running out of the tomb, Rakondo is replaced with Sergeant Slaughter. So, thanks animators. Once again, you've done your job. And everything was thorough. But yeah, no. We've definitely had Rakondo here the entire scene. But our Cobras escape. The Dreadnoughts get onto their swamp fires. And they just exit scene. So we cut back to the tomb of Vlad Tepes. Ew. And Mainframe is just being his normal self again. He's like, Beachhead, remind me to get a new travel agent when this is done. I am not really cool with being in Transylvania during vampire season. So Beachhead's like, listen, Vlad Tepes. Count, uh, Count Dracula, I mean, Vlad Tepes, wasn't a vampire. He's just a crazed tyrant who killed people for a hobby. And of course, um, well, that reminds Mainframe of Cobra. So they radio to Alpine and Bazooka, who at this point are not seeing any sign of Cobra forces. Which hopefully is a good thing, because as of right now, we're sitting at Cobra 3, Joe Nada. The Joe team is not doing very well here, folks. But as they're patrolling the area, they begin to hear some noises. Mainframe's like, eh, you didn't hear that, right? Oh, I didn't hear it again. You know, uh, it's got to be some logical explanation for all this spooky jazz, right? They walk down, and Beachhead just quips, Yeah, when they buried him, they forgot to turn off his radio. So they enter the the crypt room, and Will, yeah, just a, a ghost just walks right by them. Just goes right by them. Uh, what? So they're a little, um, definitely we're not expecting a ghost. That's for sure. And Mainframe's like, so what do we do? It's like, well, uh, Vlad Tepes isn't exactly going anywhere, so follow that ghost. So we cut back to Russia. Iceberg is just enjoying it. Duke's trying to drink a hot cocoa. Well, and good old Iceberg. He is definitely enjoying the Russian weather more than he enjoys the weather in his hometown of Waco, Texas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, dude. Clear, clearly Iceberg was born in the wrong hometown. But at that point, we get a communication from General Hawk wanting to know the word in Siberia. And Duke's like, well, the word is frostbite, General. 
my hot cocoa just turned into a frozen popsicle. So, at this point, when they focus on Duke and Iceberg at this moment, there's an animation error. Iceberg is a black man, but for some reason, they animated him like the same skin tone as Duke. So, we just had some random animation errors. And we cut over to the steps of leading up to the tomb. And Snowjob, who is fairly comfortable in cold weather. It's even cold for Snowjob. Yes, folks, one of the most unfortunately named G.I. Joes, Snowjob, who once again, I believe, is a character I'm not sure we see after this episode. Although, he is lucky enough to have some dialogue in G.I. Joe the movie. In that scene where Nemesis Enforcer rips him out of the havoc and just beats the garbage out of him. But he does get some dialogue in that movie. But that's basically the next time he gets dialogue, like, after this episode. But... He's not enjoying this cold. Which Colonel Brekov just shrugs it off. He's like, yes, it's a beautiful spring day in Russia. Perhaps we'll go swimming later. And at this point, the bats arrive. Because, and of course, the October Guard team, they have no clue what's going on. So... They get quickly introduced to the bats and how powerful they are. Um, the Joes are trying to fend off the the bats. Duke is actually tackled by a few of them. But luckily Snowjob and Horror Show are both nearby to, to save him. So we cut back to our Transylvania. They catch up with the ghost. And they're able to grab the ghost. Oh. Oh, it's actually not a ghost. It's just some weird, shiny, holographic fabric. Which, dude, if somebody could make that fabric in that kind of effect, would be an awesome cosplay. But we, but the cloak is ripped off. The ghost layer is ripped away. And it's revealed that it's the Baroness. Who, in her lovely accent just yells ill-mannered American off is that any way to treat a lady so she kicks at Beachhead knocks him into a stocks so like his arm is stu- literally stuck in a, in a stockade so it gives her a chance to a minute to run away and he's not exactly able to break himself out of it so Mayfrey comes up, shoots the lock off of it, and they run towards the Baroness. So they know to where they know where to run though. It's time to enter the crypt room. And they're like, Alright. You can't take us both, Baroness. And she's like, Well I, I really don't have to. So on cue, a cobra drilling machine burst through the door and there's a couple of vipers here 
So they're shooting at Beachhead and Mainframe. Baroness orders the Viper to go through with the DNA extractor. And they make their way out, just diving through the foundation everything. But we have a small problem here, folks. The Cobra drilling machine cutting through the foundation has destabilized everything. And now the building is about to fall apart. And we cut to the ceiling and things are beginning just to fall. The building is now collapsing on top of Beachhead and Mainframe. Are they going to be okay? Are they going to die? Are they going to live? I mean, they're new characters, so who knows? Maybe they were just introduced for this short run here. But we don't know. And we don't have a commercial break to follow up on. Because, well, we're now at the end of part two. And just, you know, instead of just saying, you know, we'll be back in a moment, we get those three dreaded words that we're really going to have to wait to find out if these characters are okay. Because this is where the episode ends and we get to be continued. All right, so that was part two of Arise, Serpento Arise. And man, I, I love this whole miniseries. It's just fantastic. I love it. The animation's great. Obviously, the story's building. We're going somewhere. The stakes are raised. Like, these five-part G.I. Joe miniseries episodes are all fantastic. But this is probably my favorite of them, to be honest with you. And we're just getting this great story. The stakes are, are rising. You know, Cobra is hitting some victories. They're winning. They've got a plan. But G.I. Joe's got to figure out what the heck is going on. Man, uh, this episode aired when I was ve very, very little. Like, this was like, uh, I mean, this was 1986. So, like, I was like not even a year old when, I don't even think I was a year old when this episode debuted. So, oh man. So, if I had to wait, like, weekly... Or, or actually no this was a this was a day-to-day -day cartoon so but still having to go so i did so i saw this like you know when it was in syndication and you know having to wait a whole day between episodes whoo whoo that's rough and then if you missed an episode oh boy like this this is what we went through kids this is what we went through as children and in the 80s and 90s. We didn't have these binged seasons Netflix watched all at one time. We had to wait daily. Sometimes we had to wait a whole week to find out what was going to happen next. Oh man, but this episode is building. It's great. I mean, I know where this episode goes. And oh, this is a fun episode. But Honestly, Arise Serpento Arise, it, it's on the internet. Um, it's one of the episodes that gets streamed on the Hasbro live streams. I think it's actually on the official uh, Hasbro YouTube channel. So there are places you can go watch this miniseries. So definitely do that. But that'll do it for this week's episode of Totally Radical Cartoon Podcast. 
like us on social media, subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating review, and I'll see you next time, guys.